welcome back. Welcome to ICYA Raw. Yeah. It's the most Raw. extreme acts of redemption of ICYA Raw. Welcome back to what is essentially season two of ICYA Raw. This is John Jansen. Um, but this year, things are going to be a little bit different for our season two of ICYA Raw because we just brought some new people right now at icya there's new people all over the place new people hired for the drop-in and, and two new people sitting in the story studio because these are the people who have been hired for summer away from their university careers in order to help us with all things uh podcast related and video editing and the bubble gala that we're going to make a sequel to this year that's going to be all these two people right here and so i'm in the studio talking with go ahead jesse jess (laughs) um i'm jess i am the media and content creator for icya i am currently a university of winnipeg film student and You were a strange 18-year-old who said, oh, wait, I want to make a movie. So she made a movie. Yes, I did. I made a feature film. Made a feature film, which was like just what every 18-year-old does. Whatever. It's everybody does that. How hard can it be? (laughs) So how hard was it? I mean, it's what I love to do. So it just kind of came. What was the name of it? So people can. It was called The Child of Ours. It was a missing and murdered Indigenous women awareness movie. And you come to us from, let's see, we'll give a little bit of background. You went to high school at? I went to high school in Windsor Park, Windsor Park Collegiate. And you still live in the South End, right? Yes, I still live in that that end of the city. Come and I CYA every day Mm -hmm. to make this story studio pop. And your partner in... I'm not going to say crime. I'm the only one who does crime. Yeah, okay. He's the only, <laughs> the only one who does a crime. Is? Andrew Stace. Andrew Stace. Now that's Stace, not Stace. Yeah. Okay. Rhymes with Ace. Stace, okay. And we had, because uh, we had to hire another Andrew. We don't have enough of them around here. We're only hiring Andrews. Next is world domination. Perfect. Um, let's see, you went or are currently enrolled. You just completed year two of communications and media at Canadian Mennonite University. That sounds like a fascinating place. Tell us more. Uh, yeah. So this past year I took some film classes, podcast classes, marketing, journalism. And we stole you away for the summer. Made August to make everything media-related awesome at ICYA. So these two are, you're going to hear a lot more from them because now I don't have to do it. So, I mean, we're going to try to put together a podcast series. Uh, hopefully it'll be it'll be l- somewhat like last summer's 10. If you haven't listened, go back uh, on, uh, on our podcast page, icya.ca slash raw. R-A-W, and you'll hear all the podcasts from last year, episode one to, I think it was 10. At Christmas, we did a few more short things, but this year, proper season two, uh, we'll do some more biographies and life stories and things like that, but we're going to also start off with something a little different. What am I talking about, Jess? Um, ICYA puts out four newsletters, I think it is, a year, 
and it's called The Urban Edge, and our first project here is just to create an audio magazine of that very newsletter. Yeah, and so we're going to, some people like uh, our business manager, Andrew, was talking about how some of his supporters, they, some, there are some people who can't read or can't see so well anymore. So we thought, well, there's, and there's, there's people who are in that situation, but there's also people who just like to listen to podcasts in their car. I'm one of those. If I'm driving in my vehicle, odds are I'm listening to a podcast. And so we want to make the Urban Edge available for people who want to get it in their heads via their ears rather their, uh, rather than their eyes. Um, what kind of things are going to be in that Urban Edge yeah, so for spring 2021, we uh, thought, you know, you're driving around town and it's a little messy outside, all the slush and snow. Uh, so it's called It's Messy. Uh, and we have a bunch of three different stories um, from various people in the office about um, around that topic and a couple updates and things like that uh, to keep you informed. Yeah, because life in the inner city, whether it comes to relationships or family stuff or COVID, um, it's been a little bit messy. It, I mean, it always is a little bit messy. And so, I mean, Harvey tell, has an article about some connecting he's been doing with uh, some of his friends who are gang involved or uh, to various levels. And uh, I think one is from Kent talking about how things are messy. And one is my experience with my son, Simon, of actually, again, Harvey inviting us to sing at a funeral that was uh, a young gang member who got killed. And so it was uh, one of those memorable experiences that I will not soon forget. So check it out. So we're just going to kick off the Urban Edge with our very own executive director, Kent Duick. Hi, this is Kent Duick, and we're going to be reading an article from the spring of 2021 entitled It's Messy. Thanks to all the many editors that helped me to get this article typed up proper and clean, because when I write, it's too messy. Life has become so complicated these days. Gone are the simpler days where a rotary phone hung on the wall, ringing a few times a day. You'd pick it up not knowing who might say hello on the other end. Then you'd plan a time to sit face-to-face, -face, drink coffee, and pour out your life. And also to listen. These days, even that which appears simple is not. Even spending a few minutes on Instagram, scrolling through memes, pictures, and some sappy quotes is complicated. In the background, your preferences and interests are being mined in order to target you with an advertising campaign of some sort. They want to get into your mind. It appears simple, but it's complicated. Early in ministry, I realized that simple solutions to complex problems were no solutions at all. When it comes to poverty, people have proffered all kinds of simple solutions. We need housing. It's about abolishing racism. It's about education. People who are educated climb out of poverty. It seems like many of these simple solutions are offered with a sort of condescending tone. Like, don't you get it? It's obvious. You know the people I'm talking about. Awkwardly, many of the self-assured proponents of simple solutions don't agree with each other. This past winter, we've been seeing some of this around the issue of homeless folks sleeping in bus shelters during our cold Winnipeg nights. You'd have to be pretty callous to ignore the problem. So indeed, everyone seems to be talking about this, and simple solutions abound. Homeless shelters should be taking them in. What about churches? Schools are empty at night. Why not that? 
if the root of the problem was simply the lack of a home, maybe we could just open up every church, school, and public facility for the homeless so they didn't have to freeze at night, and then, voila, the problem would be solved. If your simple answer was, it's racism, you would seek to uproot any sign of racism, and you would see it everywhere. If you said it's education, you might start an education awareness campaign to address the problem. For some, the simple answer doesn't go very far beyond people need to take responsibility. All of these things have some merit, but taken on their own, will focusing on them exclusively lead to solutions that work? Take something like taking responsibility, for instance. It's my least favorite in the list because it tends to lack a deeper understanding of the reason that folks end up homeless. But you can't say that taking responsibility at some point is not part of the solution. I mean, when you see people who end up leaving street life, it frequently, in my experience, has a lot to do with taking responsibility. But it's not only taking responsibility. It's addressing the pain in their lives. It's education. It's relationships that are supportive. It is a multivariate path to the life people dream of. There are many factors, and no one set of factors is true across the board. My point is not to make the water so muddy that you throw up your hands and say, I give up. There's nothing we can do. My point is to say it's complicated, and providing simple diagnosis to complex problems will lead to solutions that just don't work and end up leading to more harm in the long term. At some point, we need to recognize that it is the coming together of all the fine points that brings about the real solutions. All the points of light must zero in on the complex problem, honoring the fact that it takes the insights of many to ameliorate the suffering of the few. This means that we don't get solutions to complex problems without a community that is rich in relationship and good communication. Years ago, one of our youth struggled with homelessness. One of the effects of his homelessness was that his feet deteriorated to the point that he could barely walk. Between frostbite and never being able to take off his shoes, he was walking around in constant pain. One of our staff took him to a podiatrist for help. His feet looked horrible from his homelessness, but the doctor, in one awkward moment, held his feet in his hands in the most intimate way. It was like he wanted to communicate something deeper, the doctor looked up at the young man and said, Do you feel that? The young man nodded vigorously. The doctor replied, Do you know what that is? The young man, who had definitely felt something, said, No, what was that? The doctor simply replied, That was love. It was this intimate moment where one doctor, who was a Jesus follower, did one simple act of kindness which became one ray in the gathering light that would help this young man in a deeper way. The doctor didn't become a loud advocate for foot hugs or something like that. He knew what he was doing was just one simple thing. The key, though, that it was about him bridging the gap between himself and this young man in this simple act of mercy. We don't believe that complex problems can be solved by simple, one-size-fits-all solutions. But we do believe that small acts of mercy can become a part of the big story of transformation that so many communities need. So if we all do the small things God calls us to, together our world will be changed.
Hey everyone, just a quick note. Do you have an iPad at home that you are no longer using? We are in need of iPads to help track attendance and information for drop-in and camp participants. Three rabbis are sitting around discussing Talmud. One of them quotes a certain opinion which he says was stated by Rabbi Yochanan. The second concurs, but the third and youngest insists that it was actually stated by Rabbi Samuel. The two older men tell him he must be wrong, but he's adamant. The argument rages on, getting more and more heated, until suddenly the heavens open and a great voice booms out. He is right. It was Rabbi Samuel, not Rabbi Yochanan. The heavens close again and the three sit in stunned silence for a moment. Then the oldest rabbi says, Well, so now it's two against two. That joke encapsulates something I love about the Jewish tradition. They wrestle with God. In fact, as some might remember from Sunday school, that's literally what the name Israel means. There's an honesty and a directness that you find in the story of the children of Israel that speaks of genuine relationship. A relationship that gave them the freedom and the confidence to enter into that wrestle. They believed that there was one true God and that God was for them and responsive like a good parent. I don't think that relationship could have been sustained throughout millennia without a faith like that. It's a faith that resulted in a story and a people who survived against remarkable odds. I've never met a modern-day Hittite or Babylonian, but the Jews are with us to this day. That uniqueness is apparent when you read the history they wrote about themselves. While the prevailing pattern of ancient cultures was to write histories that glorified and exaggerated their triumphs, the Jewish story can at times seem pretty much like a recounting of how things went wrong and how God was faithful in spite of it. It seems like if you are committed to living within God's story, being honest and genuine is not optional. This theme got real to me recently when Harvey, a hood pastor on ICYA's community outreach team, was asked to do a funeral for a young gang-involved man in our community. Somehow the guy made some street-level mistake, and when an attempt by the gang to punish this sin went too far, it ended his life. Harvey asked my son and I to provide some music at the funeral, so without thinking about it too much, we chose some songs and headed down to the chapel. It was a funeral like I have never experienced before. The mix of family and gang members, past and current, made for a high-tension situation. At one point in the ceremony, there was an outbreak of yelling, cursing, and crying in the lobby. A number of family members ran out of the service to enter the fray, but as far as we could tell, the best thing for my son and I to do was to just keep on singing those worship songs. We happen to be singing a song that has grown popular in churches lately called The Blessing. It's basically an adaptation of scripture that I've heard recited as a benediction since I was a kid in church. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and 
give you his perfect peace. The lyric rises to a pronouncement of God's favor on your family and your children and their children for a thousand generations. It follows with what seemed in that moment to be an endless repetition of the phrase, He is for you. It was hard to sing those words in that context. It led me into an odd, almost combative moment of prayer. I found myself wrestling with God. Am I to believe, Lord, in this context of urban poverty and extreme generational suffering that you are for the people I'm singing this song to? What evidence is there for that? And how am I supposed to believably sing them a promise of generations of blessing to come? I found myself praying a prayer that, had it been out loud, might have sounded dangerously close to calling God out. You better get down here. You are needed. These people need you to show up now. Maybe that's exactly what God wants, for us to know our inadequacy and to call for help. Or maybe I was awkwardly forcing my impoverished understanding of blessing onto the situation. It's too easy to default to a view of blessing that simply equals a lack of suffering and a desire for all the things that make life easy and comfortable. And if there is one precious lesson that the North End will teach you time and again, it is that there's more blessing in facing your pain in the middle of the messy collision of all the people who love you than there will ever be in sterile isolation surrounded by nice things. My hunch is that somewhere around there, in the honest and painful wrestle with a God who promises to be in the mess with us, that we find the blessing. Join our monthly ministry partner list. We're so incredibly blessed to have people like you giving and praying for our ministry. Each year we go through cycles of gifts coming in large batches then quieting down for other seasons, like the spring and summer months. We invite you to consider registering as a monthly supporter. Your ongoing support goes a long way to help us plan out and bring stability to our many ministries throughout the year. It's super easy to sign up. Register online at icya.ca slash donate as a monthly supporter. Then fill out the attached donor card and return to us, postage paid. Call our office Monday to Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 5 o'clock p.m., 204-582-8779. Give us a call or email us at info at icya.ca. Staff needed. See full job descriptions and how to apply when you visit icya.ca slash careers. Walking in the mess. Mel had just woken up and was feeling dope sick. If she didn't get her first fix of the day soon, she would begin to experience excruciating withdrawals. She prepared a shot of down, a dangerous mix of heroin and fentanyl, and looked for a vein to shoot up. Looking me in the eye, she told me about a friend of hers who had just died of an overdose the day before while injecting herself with the very same drug. The look in the eye of a person battling serious drug addiction is a mix of pain, resignation, hopelessness, and at times, a plea for help. Our friends know it's killing them. They know it's keeping them from getting healthy 
and having a relationship with their children, with their families. But knowledge and willpower alone are not nearly enough. I love my kids, our friend Wayne insisted to me the other day with tears in his eyes. I want to be there for them, but this addiction, it's just so effing hard. Promise me, he continued in our conversation after sharing with me about another recent attempt on his life. Promise me that you'll go to my funeral and tell the people there that I was a good person with a good heart, a heart for people. As one of our four community ministers, lately I've been using the term hood pastor, on our team here at Inner City Youth Alive, it's not uncommon for us to find ourselves visiting friends in a trap house, a drug house, with a bucket of KFC, checking up on some friends experiencing hopelessness in a tent down by the river, visiting a single mom and her kids in a Manitoba housing apartment, or going for a drive and praying with a young gang member who just got released from prison. You're a pastor? Is a question I often get asked. What are you doing here? I was asked recently in a room full of addicts shooting up. So you just go around talking to bad people? One woman asked. Well, just because a person is struggling with addictions doesn't make them a bad person, I replied. One of the consistencies in our ministries is that we so often encounter people in pain. Our society often teaches us to avoid facing our pain and the traumatic experiences behind it at all costs to do whatever we can to escape the pain, to numb the pain. That's one of the main reasons that people end up abusing substances and becoming addicts. And yet we have built relationships with so many people who wish that they could be free from their addictions. We've sat and listened and prayed with friends as they cried, begging for help to overcome their addictions. What would it take? I asked a friend the other day. She has struggled with serious addictions since she was 12. What would it take to get clean? Jail, was her reply. Everyone nodded. I didn't point out that she has frequently been to jail. So, are you wanted by the police right now, I asked her. No. Well, why don't you punch me in the face right now and I'll charge you with assault, I replied, smiling. Everyone burst out laughing. Of course, getting clean in jail is very different than learning how to live life sober upon being released. Or if your family is comprised of homeless addicts, and literally 99% of the people you know are addicts, how can you ever begin to imagine a different life? How do you, quote, raise the floor for a person who has been in and out of jail for the past 15, 20 years? Someone who has been repeatedly victimized, experienced the traumatic loss of loved ones, witnessed horrific violence, even carved the words F love into their arm. This pandemic has exposed so many gaps and shortcomings in the systems, structures, and institutions we have built to care for the most vulnerable in our society. Think of the long-term care homes, homeless shelters, etc. And I believe that it has greatly exacerbated the challenges faced by those seeking help with their addictions. Having walked alongside friends who have desperately sought to get help, from detox, treatment, income assistance, etc., we have repeatedly witnessed how difficult it is to attain help, even if one has supports and help with rides to appointments, phone calls, access to voicemail, encouragement, food, place to sleep. For those without, it's almost impossible. Those struggling with addiction desperately need safe, caring, and supportive places to live as they seek help. They need counseling to address trauma, 
and space to grieve. We could have a half dozen more treatment facilities like the Bruce Oak Recovery Center in Winnipeg, and it wouldn't be enough. What role can we play in providing loving and caring community for those who need to cut ties with family and friends in order to stay sober? As followers of Jesus, we know how finding one's identity in Christ renews our sense of value and worth and can bring about healing and transformation. God's desire is for all to experience forgiveness, restoration, and wholeness in our lives. Our team recently watched a training video by clinical psychologist Dr. Henry Cloud, who has taught extensively on the psychology and neurology of how people respond in times of crisis. He maintains that humanity was designed for structure and healthy connectedness, and that when we lose our sense of control and our normal ability to make choices in times of crisis, our tendency is to unplug and resign ourselves to a kind of learned helplessness. As strategies for coping, he advises that we create structure and prioritize our connections with others. But what happens when your life is always chaotic? How can we come alongside those for whom COVID-19 barely registers as a blip on their radar in comparison to the daily crisis of trying to survive? Are you looking to volunteer? We are in need of volunteers for maintenance projects. We have a number of building projects that our facilities manager could use some help with. Basic experience of repair and tools and asset, but don't let that hold you back. It's not required for all projects. If you'd like information or are interested, please email volunteer at icya.ca. Big things are coming. Keep an eye out for updates on ICYA's newest programs. Visit icya.ca to subscribe to our email newsletters. Thank you for tuning in to episode one of season two of ICYA Raw. This episode was written by Harvey Rempel, Kent Duick, and John Jansen, and produced by Jesse Moore and Andrew Stace.